The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Good afternoon to one and all. Uh, just had a little technical hiccup there, but it is me, uh, Laura Rosen Cohen, coming at you live from Southern Ontario, deranged dominion, as Mark calls it. And as Mark continues on his recovery, uh, I am sitting in, I am in the hot seat for the next hour. And I hope, uh, as usual, not to completely depress everyone with all the insane shenanigans going around the world. Um, I did want to make the date announcement for those of you who want to bookmark that. We are Friday, August the 11th, and it is three o'clock Eastern time. And uh, that means that I still obviously have quite a bit amount of time before candlelighting, before the Jewish Sabbath. So we have lots of good stuff to get into. Um, I did want to also mention that, you know, as Mark continues along his recovery, um, please also be cognizant that he is shoring up his strength uh, for the upcoming battle, which has already started, you know, with Ofcom. And um, lots of you continue to ask how you can best support Mark in his efforts in his lawsuit with Ofcom. And uh, the best way of doing so obviously still is by being a Mark Stein Club member. Uh, you know that everybody around the world can listen to these broadcasts and get all of the amazing content for free on Stein Online and uh, privilege of communicating with Mark and with the other uh, club members is by membership and it is really fun in the comment section. So you can do that. You can purchase gift certificates and you can also purchase Mark's books, uh, his newest book, of course, as well. And uh, so those are some things that you guys can do. And what else do we want to tell you? Um, summer is almost over. We're kind of a few weeks away from the start of school here in uh, Southern Ontario. And um, I wanted to mention you guys, uh, a bunch of you wrote to me after Laura's links this week, because I mentioned um, talking about um, Psalm 20. And um, the particular edition that I am using right now to study with my study buddy. And the particular um, summary in this version. So I, I kept you all guessing, but um, I figured, you know, instead of a, a lengthy opening monologue here, maybe we could talk about that for a sec. Um, you know, saying psalms and reading them and studying them is a very underrated art, in my opinion. But this one, number 20, uh, is a prayer on behalf of a loved one whom you are unable to help. And I think that a lot of us face those situations in life where we're dealing um, with a problem that a loved one has and we really want to help. We feel like we can't help or sometimes there's situations that we really just can't, can't fix entirely. So I think turning to prayer is a really great thing. 
And um, I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to read it to you from this translation, you guys. Uh, just bear with me. We're going to get a little religious on you. Then we'll go into political stuff, which I know you're waiting for. Um, but in my translation, and I apologize to any Christians who have other translations, and maybe it sounds a little bit different, but this version, you know, takes it right from the Hebrew, from King David's Hebrew. Um, so we have, for the leader, a psalm by David, may God answer you in a day of suffering. May the name of the God of Yaakov raise you high above. May he send your aid from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all of your flower offerings and accept the fat of your burnt offerings, Selah. May he give you according to your heart and fulfill all of your musings. We will joyously sing in your salvation and raise our flags in the name of God. May God fulfill all of your requests. Now I know that God saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heavens with the mighty acts of his rescuing right hand. Though these trust in chariots and these trust in horses, but we will call the name of God our God. They have bent and fallen, but we have arisen and stand upright. O oh God, save us. May the king answer us on the day that we call. And as I mentioned, in Jewish tradition, uh, Psalms are not just meditative, but they actually have the power to clean the air around you, clean the bad things, the unpure things around you, and actually have powers of their own. So it's really important to remember that we're in very dangerous and perilous times politically. And, um, you know, turning to higher power is always a great thing to do when you're feeling a little bit, um, a little bit down about the situation. And <clears throat> that is my segue into the down stuff in case you didn't pick up on that little hint. So um, we'll talk a little bit about outrageous outrage. I'm sure a lot of you guys are completely outraged with all of the stuff that is coming out now on the Biden crime tribe. Um, you know, part of the outrageous thing is not that it's new. It's something that's always been known about the Biden family. This is not a nice guy or an honorable guy. This has been going on for decades. Uh, a lot of it has been so suppressed by the media, they're happy to play along. So the outrageous thing is just how um, inoculated we are to all of this and how little of a splash it makes, uh, even the most outrageous, crazy stories. Um, another outrage, I guess maybe you guys saw this online, was um, a 16-year-old autistic girl in Britain I guess she got a little drunk. I, I didn't read the whole background story, but there was some kind of a disturbance and she's an autistic girl and police were sent somehow. And uh, the British constabulary, as Mark says, you know, they fight everything except crime. So uh, this young girl accused, maybe that's not the right word, commented that the female uh, police officer looked like a lesbian. And, um, this girl's grandmother is a lesbian, so she was making a comment that was certainly not homophobic. It was more observatory. And uh, they roughed this 16-year-old autistic kid up pretty good. And um, it was on the behest of this uh, the policewoman's partner. And so, you know, the whole thing is really disgusting. And um, the police were saying, oh, no, it's not really how it looks. And we got to get the full story and blah, blah, blah. But it just goes to show you that there's really no uh, low bar for these uh, people and for these types of civil servants. It's an ongoing thing in Britain that 
they rough off people who are vulnerable and who haven't committed crimes. And, um, you know, terrorism, no big deal, snore. They're very concerned about misgendering. It, it, we're living really in topsy-turvy times. And those are just a couple of examples that are happening on both sides of the pond. So there's no adults in charge. Um, it's unlikely to me right now that we will get another adult slash Republican in the White House during the next election, unless a lot of the corruption is mopped up. Um, you Americans listening uh, can tell me what you think about that. Um, I think that we've all gone really soft after World War II. Uh, we're in a decadent time right now. We never really struggled against evil, so people create evil boogeymans in their heads, and then because they want a comfortable anesthetized life, are unwilling to look and see and identify and talk about the real evil that is in our midst right now. And it, it uh, it's manifested in a lot of things. It's in the digital tyranny, the COVID tyranny, uh, all this trans mania, mutilating children. These are deeply dark and evil things, and people are scared to take them on. And um, that's a real problem. So Again, we need to buck up and all have some courage and uh, don't let your families go soft. Um, keep inspiring courage and do what you can. Not what you can't. Um, so that's one of the themes that uh, is going to be seen over and over again in the questions that we're going to be taking on today. So I hope that uh, we have a nice little ride this afternoon. And we're going to start. We actually got uh, a good question by email. So... I'm going to start with the email question, and then we are going to go right into uh, what we have in the comment box. So this one uh, came through email, and um, I can't see the name right now. Oh, it is um, from Heike Hadino, I believe. Um, and she's, she's asking Mark, sorry to disappoint you, it is me, it's Laura, but I'm going to take on this question anyways. My question relates to the millions of aliens and drugs pouring through the U.S. southern border into the 49 mainland states. How many of them flow into Canada through the open U.S. northern border and create havoc there? Or maybe Canada's Marxist PM welcomes them. So there's a lot of meat on those bones. And thank you for that question. Uh, what I, I'm not really sure about how much uh, drugs, how many drugs, how much drugs comes up uh, through the northern border. But one thing that I have noticed, um, and Mr. C has noticed as well, is humongous um, numbers of illegal immigrants, uh, illegals coming lately, uh, mostly South American. We really don't know exactly how they're all coming. Um, also a lot of Africans, but mostly primarily Spanish speaking South Americans. So the border, the Northern border is porous, uh, from the U S to get into Canada. It seems, I think a lot of people just walk across that border. I believe it is not the same for Canadians trying to get into the United States, even though there's no more COVID regulations. Uh, I don't think it's that as easy to walk into America from Canada, the real flow is from South America and who knows where as an origin point. That's actually the even scarier thing is that people from all kinds of 
more dangerous and more ideologically dangerous countries can just hop on a a plane to somewhere in South America, make their way up north, and then um, walk across the river and flow into the U.S. and then into Canada. Excuse me. So this is an epidemic problem, and the illegal masses of people who are largely uneducated um, you know, no skill, low skill people who have no intention of leaving once they actually get here. That is actually compounded by, as you say, our crazy Marxist prime minister and the number of authorized legal immigrants that are pouring into Canada right now. Um, I've mentioned previously that there was over a million um Uh, Canada's population grew by over a million people, and that was not natural growth, not babies. It was, again, these low-skill, no-skill, and family reunification situations. And um, all I can say from observation is that it's it's bad now in Canada, and it's going to get worse. Um, Canada can barely cover, like really barely, cover the needs of the healthcare and social services for the population that is already here. It is a vast country, but there are lots of places that are completely, as you know, inhabitable. And um, there's wait times for everything in social services and healthcare, like everything. And Canadians are used to waiting for for their healthcare, but it's it's getting much worse. And also, I've noticed anywhere that I go in the downtown core, particularly in Toronto, there are homeless encampments everywhere. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a dangerous city in Toronto, and that's where most of these illegals and legals are coming for the promises of jobs. And um, I really can't see how this is going to be fixed in any way. It's very bad, and um, we're we're getting we're going to get to the point in about ten years, I think, where Canada is going to be sort of like France, I guess, um, you know, struggling to stay Canadian, whatever that means nowadays, with. Um, a, a very large uh, population of unassimilable um, people who are great baby makers. So again, just like with COVID, I'm not sure where people think the money is going to come from. Um, Mr. C and I have some exit routes ideas, uh, exit route ideas, which we are looking into. And I think any Canadian with a brain uh and a passport or several passports is probably doing the same. So thank you for that question. Not a happy one. An excellent way, of course, to start our lovely Q&A section. So uh, I am going to dig right into the comments. You guys have sent in a whole bunch of interesting questions and we are going to start Let's see what we got here. Um, I'm also going to try to um, do a variety of geographical regions. Uh, So anybody who wants to let me know where they're coming from, um, we'll try to shake it up a bit geographically as well. All right. Oh, we have a compliment. So uh, yes, I am vain enough to uh, take the compliment first. Uh, We have from Kelly Harbison writes, Shalom, Laura, your links define Thursdays for me. I must confess that I have been starting at the bottom with human grace to fortify myself against the madness, health and serenity to you and yours. 
Kelly, that is very sweet of you. And it is totally fine to start at the bottom and work your way up. Isn't there a Drake song like that started at the bottom? So we can all start at the bottom. It's completely fine and kosher. Um, Kathy Shadel, our late, beautiful Kathy Shadel used to do the same thing. She always used to start at the bottom. And in fact, Kathy always used to tell me also to start at the bottom with uh, articles online. Because uh, that's where the real the real interesting stuff is always in people's comments, not necessarily in the article. It's how real people are responding and analyzing, and giving insights. So um, Kelly, it's it's completely uh, Jewish mother approved to start at the bottom. And thank you for joining us. It is great to have you with us. Um, let us go to um, P Overton who writes. Laura, I am so disturbed by the killing of Craig Robertson, a 70-year-old Air Force veteran in Provo, Utah, by, U uh, by UFO agents. Oh, my God. What a Freudian slip there. That is really, <laughs> that's bad. By FBI agents in the early morning, 6.15 a.m. of Wednesday, August 9th, he allegedly made online threats against the president. Does the punishment match the crime here? The FBI is definitely weaponized and they will investigate themselves to see if what they did is justified. Every citizen should be concerned by this excessive use of force. Yes, yes, Mr. Overton, or maybe Ms., uh, P. Overton, thank you for that question and comment. And that is really, it's it was a murder. It's a murder. So America, your security forces are weaponized against you and only too happy. They have itchy trigger fingers and they like these pre-dawn raids. And one false move means you are a goner. And it is absolutely terrifying. Um, I think the whole FBI structure and organization needs to be raised to the ground like i personally don't know any anybody in of my american friends or contacts who would feel safe or comfortable talking to the fbi about any crime or any concerns um it is terrifying it, like there's way too many uh government militias with incredible weaponry and i mean shame on all these guys and girls who participate in these forces um, and, and take their marching orders to behave in such a maniacal, uh, bloodthirsty fashion. Shame on them all. You know, it reminds me of the, the horrendous behavior of the, the police in the city where the, the children were being held hostage and they were fully armed to the teeth. They had more weapons than uh, most Banana Republic army and they let children be slaughtered. And now they're murdering at the crack of dawn somebody, some old guy, some geezer who made online threats. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people have received much worse threats than anything that this guy ever said. Um, I guess I should hold my tongue. I should probably look into it a little bit more. But basically, I can totally agree with your assessment that every citizen should be afraid. You should be terrified. It is terrifying and it's meant to terrify you. The FBI and all the other three-letter three letter agencies in America are completely corrupt, beyond repair and redemption, and they are the enemies of the citizenry. Um, you guys can comment if you feel I'm being too harsh, but I think um, raising to the ground would be the only uh, appropriate way to deal with this and keep your powder dry. Obviously, keep your powder dry. 
thanks for that. Um, we're going to go on to let us go now to Chris Davies. And Chris says, Laura, good to have you back. Despite this being the midst of the Ukrainian counteroffensive, I've noticed a significant reduction in coverage of the war. Is this because things are not going to plan or has, quote, global boiling replaced Ukraine, which will place COVID as the latest scare story to keep us proles in our place? All the best to you and yours and best wishes to Mark. Cheers, Chris. Uh, thanks, Chris, for that great uh, comment slash question. I think there's a lot of things happening and it's always important to ask oneself who benefits. I think it's clear that the Biden family um, and Zelensky uh, have benefited very much from the largesse of taxpayer money flowing uh, to Ukraine. So Biden's corruption obviously predates this latest war between uh, Ukraine and Russia. But those are people who benefited. But now the stories of corruption are slowly and grudgingly leaking out. Um, so if anybody is starting to make associations rightly with the Biden family and crime and corruption and Ukraine, then obviously they're going to want that out of the spotlight and uh, they're going to throw a few more Trump indictments on the barbecue, as we've seen. This is a, a very easy pattern to discern. So that's partly it. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I saw a video of Ukrainians like sunbathing by a lake or a river and completely oblivious. <coughs> Excuse me. It did not look like a war was happening. They didn't look too worried to me. Just let me grab a sip of water. So it could be that we're really just not getting... Uh, good information about what's what's actually happened. But I definitely think uh, global boiling, for those of you who didn't see that, I think it was, uh, was it John Kerry or some other kooks? Maybe it was BBC. Anyways, they were talking about it's no longer global warming, you dum-dums. Like at first it was like the ozone layer and then it was acid rain and, um, you know, crack babies. And then it was global warming and then it was climate change. But now... Uh, they didn't go back to weather ever, obviously. It's never weather. But um, now global climate is not sufficient. So somebody of these lunatics talked about global boiling. So that's what Chris is referring to. Um, there always has to be a new thing. So definitely climate is coming back into the lexicon. Um, but if you guys keep an eye on something that I've seen lately, it's the next virus, the next pandemic, uh, which is something like virus X. Have you guys seen anything about this? It's starting to percolate. So they've got big, big plans for us. They've not abandoned the digital ID and digital currency ship. I can tell you that much. Uh, keep believing what they are saying when they say it, guys. Um, yes, so COVID is was the latest, but I think virus X and climate stuff is going to be next uh, you know, the CNN people were caught on tape by Project Veritas talking about how, like in the post-COVID era, whenever it was meant to be, that they were going to pivot back to climate. So th it's all out there. It's all very obvious. And there always has to be a next thing. Just like with the political left, you know, there was first like gay rights and gay marriage, and then the pivot is to trans. And so there's always a next thing. There's never going to be a live and let live. So guys, 
keep your eyes peeled. They talk about it very openly. They can't really hide their glee about the next things. All right, moving along, we are going to take Alyssa Angel's question. And Alyssa is getting us back on the Friday afternoon gossip train. And Alyssa wants to talk about Justin Castro. Okay, um, Alyssa says, Laura, have you figured out what the quote Trudeau marital split announcement is meant to distract you from? What did Justin sneak by hapless Canadians while posting statements on marital matters and that goofy father and son Barbie photo? So like I have been hearing various bits and pieces of gossip about this. Most people think who are some of them who are in the know that Sophie and Justin split up a couple of years ago already that this business about the kids and blah, 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 and asking for privacy, no, no, no. It's just, it's completely baloney. It's been like the worst kept secret in Ottawa for, for at least a few years. Um, and the kids know about it. This was just like the official statement. Um, and yeah, to ask for privacy and then to shove your kids' faces all over the internet, they do this not because they're hypocrites. Again, I have to repeat this idea. They are not hypocrites. They're just showing you that they are the bosses of you and that none of the rules apply to them. <clears throat> and basically that nothing that they say is true. You should not take anything that these people say at face value because they are completely full of themselves and completely full of it all the time, all the time. So I feel sorry for his kids. Um, not, I mean, divorce is hard on any, on anybody and any, any of their kids, but I just feel sorry being a child of such a a monstrous, awful creature such as Trudeau. And the most horrifying thing about this entire episode to me is that I am forced to root for Sophie Gregor Trudeau, Gregory Trudeau. I mean, like that's in my books, that is unforgivable. Like they make me root for Sophie. Like it just does not get any worse than that. So I'm not really sure what the, um, what the distraction is. Like, I, I don't even think it is a look squirrel thing. However, however, I did see something, um, online and I can't remember the, the, the woman who I'm going to be, uh, quoting, but somebody speculated that this, uh, marital split was the first step in Trudeau's, uh, walk in the snow, so to speak. So if you guys know when Pierre, the Trudeau, Trudeau, uh, Justin Trudeau's dad, uh, quit, fired, whatever, whenever he left politics, he took his walk in the snow. Uh, Anyways, there are people who are speculating now that this is uh, the first step in his walk in the snow. And the reason why I would take that seriously and not necessarily with a grain of salt is because we've really seen a domino effect of the worst, most disgusting, tyrannical, evil, uh, total maniacal, quote, Western, quote, leaders, all taking a powder recently uh, before some of this COVID reckoning and lawsuits and um, disclosures are taking place. So we have no more Justinda Ardern in uh, Down Under. And um, I think Macron's walking on wobbly ground, possibly. And uh, there's been others. The Spanish guy is gone. Um, 
you know, haven't had enough coffee today, but there's, there's certainly a number of leaders who have gone bye-bye. And um, I'm, I'm sure that there are people, you know, China, whoever it is, pharmaceutical companies, whatever. There's lots of people who've got goods on Trudeau. So maybe, maybe that is the reason. That, that's a speculation that uh, I think is reasonable. Thank you, Alyssa, for that gossipy question. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Uh, da, da, da. Okay, we're going to take this one. This is Matt from upstate New York who writes, Laura, as a Twitter slash X user, what do you think of the rebranding of it as X? It seems ridiculous to me. And why mess with a brand so well known? It's sort of like Prince becoming that onk like symbol and referred to as the artist formerly known as Prince X, formerly known as Twitter. Of course, Musk has odd names for his kids, so maybe I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's funny. I was asking somebody who works in the graphic design and web business what they thought of it. And it just gave me a look and said, I don't really care. I don't care. And I thought, okay, maybe I shouldn't care either. I, I do think it's weird because Twitter is like such such a great brand and X sounds really weird and I don't really know the vernacular yet. Like, um, are you supposed to say like, I sent out an X or somebody X'd at me? It's very weird. And like, they still have the blue bird branding on the website in a lot of places. So I, I cannot know what, uh, what he was thinking. I definitely think Twitter is more fun again. There's certainly a lot of good things that he has done. Again, uh, I would caution we should never, you know, put our trust in men. But I do think that with the purchase of Twitter, um, Elon Musk has certainly um, assured himself as a position in, in a position of, let's say, um, historical consequence when it comes to free speech. So $44 billion later, there is certainly more rather than less free speech. So no matter what he's about or why he did this, I, I definitely think it's a good thing. And I also, I, it's a huge creature, Twitter, you know, like Facebook is a huge creature and beast as well. So I'm sure that a lot of things um, that he might be thinking of in, in the spirit of freedom of speech or some of the censorship remain remains that are that are deep within the architecture of Twitter. Like he's one guy and there's billions of Twitter users, right? So can you imagine policing this thing? Uh, it's, it's a vast enterprise. So I'm, you know, of the mind of sort of like respect and suspect, but so far it's better, not worse. And like, that's a pretty good thing that we can say about one of these social media tech companies. Uh, I, I don't think I could say that about anything else. We can't say that about Google. We can't say that about Facebook. Um, I'm also looking forward to the the match, the duel that's going to be happening between Elon and Mark Zuckerberg, apparently. That's going to be pretty funny. Um, so I hope that uh, helps. Those are my thoughts about it. Like, I love, I love Twitter. Like, I am a hardcore Twitter addict. Um, I like, there's so many funny people. There's so much smartness. There's so much snark. I love how fast it moves. So like I would be devastated to not have access to it. I think it's good that it's still there for us. It's too late, I think, for a competitor, just like it's too late for, I think, a competitor to Facebook. So let's just keep an eye on it and see see how it goes, you know? Um, all right, let, let me just see. I think I might have missed something uh, up here. Okay, 
let's go now. I think I'm taking a, let me, let me know if uh, we're taking a sufficient geographical and topical variety. Um, all right, we have from Tom Lewis. So Tom is, is asking Mark, uh, hey Tom, I, I'm in here. I, I have taken a Zionist occupation of the mic. Mark is uh, resting up. Uh, and so I'm still going to answer your question though to Mark. I'll, I'll take a stab at it. Uh, hi, Mark. Hope you're staying healthy. Have you had a chance to form an early impression of Vivek Ram, Ramaswamy? He seems to be talking about the things that matter. Um, my impression is that uh, he's a very intelligent guy. I enjoy hearing him talk about things. Uh, he seems to have like all these either lovers or haters online and in the news. I'm, I'm just like you. I think he's talking about important things. I'm not sure if he has, in my view, a very good chance at like the presidency, but I think that it is important to talk about the big, the big things, which he's doing. He's really smart and really articulate, and he's not afraid to say certain things. So all those uh, check off the good boxes in my book. And um, I, I, like I said, I don't think he has much of a chance in terms of a presidency, but uh, let's, let's keep an eye on him as well. More conversation, more ideas more interesting topics. Those are all good things. We should be adding to conversations, um, not censoring. And uh, I think he's uh, an interesting fellow. Uh, let's see what we got here. Okay, we have, uh, there's a couple good ones here. So let's see what time we've got here. We're about halfway through my people. Oh, I was gonna say um, halfway point. Uh, I know that Mark usually puts in a, a nice musical interlude and uh, obviously my technical skills might not be up to, I mean, I could pick probably a good tune to put in at the halfway point and in order to uh, have a little drink of water and uh, catch breath, etc. But I thought maybe I would survey you guys and um, maybe we'll have Mr. C come and sing a couple of songs, maybe in Persian or in Hebrew or introduce himself. That's uh, an idea I'm toying with. I haven't, uh, I haven't discussed it with Mr. C yet. Uh, let's see if there's any enthusiasm for that, and then we can go back to it. Uh, I, I will take a little sip of water, and then we're going to deal with a couple of American questions, I believe. Uh, we've got something from John Fatchy and something from David Kelly Wood. So I'm going to take a look at those in a sec. And... Uh, Maybe I will try to figure out technically how I can give you guys uh, an official uh, musical interlude for the next time. The next time Mark lets me sit in this lovely seat. So we're going to go, we're going to John Fatchy, who says, Welcome Laura and best wishes towards Mark's continued recovery. I just drove the New York Thruway and it inspired ire towards the Republican Party. The Democrats are corrupt and treasonous. They are not incompetent as they are methodically achieving their goals of a diminished United States of America. I know you have the same frustrations with your leftist dictatorship as all clublanders are experiencing in their corner of the Chinese, Chinese Communist Party colonies. That's actually a very good way to put it, John. Well, well phrased. The fight appears to be over because we have not we have not got opposition parties. The Republican Party is liable for the destruction at the hands of the Democrat Party. The corruption of the GOP is the source of all American political woes. Our candidates must denounce the RNC. They are fixing to throw the federal elections of 2024 just as they pacified the red wave 
an elected Hoshul in New York. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I generally have to agree with you. The Republican, the Republicans have like no balls. They've been completely neutered. Um, it, it's awful. And you just have those two mega parties. There's no third party. Um, and yes, it is the same here in Canada. I mean, here we have Pierre Poliev, who's the leader of the Conservative Party. And I definitely think he has a little bit more um, testicular fortitude than uh, many others. But, uh, you know, he's still he's soft on immigration and a bunch of other stuff. I'm not sure really that Canada can recover either. But this is the problem we have become, as you rightly say, um, CCP colonies. And there's not a lot of fight left in people. Now, uh, I don't want to get like too depressed, but when you look back to the power that Trump held, I mean, he had all the cards in his hand. He still didn't build a wall and um, he was very much on the vaccine train, uh, did not muzzle or get rid of Fauci. You know, I, he, he was a great president, absolutely great, but there were some flaws that affected American freedom and... Um, they're still they're still with us, obviously. Now, if you want a sort of hopeful opinion about, about this, I put in the links uh, yesterday a link to um, Megan Kelly's podcast conversation with um, she was speaking to Andrew Clavin. She spoke to Alan Dershowitz, and then also she had some um, leaders of the NCWAP. NCAAP, uh, like a black pastor and leaders from Oakland, California. And um, Andrew Clavin really was, uh, he kind of sold me on the idea that there are pockets of resistance to the failures and to the woke madness and to this insanity, like pockets. So I, I'm generally still pessimistic, but he talked about certain um, groups of resistance, like, uh, let's say, swaths of uh, primarily left-leaning women moms who reject <clears throat> the woke lunacy and the trans stuff and her getting active and elected on school boards and stuff like that. And I, I do see some um, pockets of pushback and I do see some people saying like, all is not lost, et cetera, et cetera. Like we can still do this. But I, I feel like... Um, they're not really on planet reality sometimes, the voices of optimism, because of demographics. And as Mark points out all the time, demographics are destiny. So, um, you know, we have a, a permanent bureaucracy in most of these countries that leans left. We have corruption. This was another one of the points that Andrew Clavin was making. The corruption is so bad that it's almost comical, like it's so in your face uh, that the lesson is, we can do this, we will continue to do this, we'll, we will do this to you, we will do this to everyone you love. So, you know, just, just shove off. And I don't see at the moment how it is possible to fix that. It's like who watches the watchmen, right? Like um, these corrupt power drunk, left wing, bureaucratic, political, nonprofit, academic, um, media monsters, they're, they're in for the long haul and, um, they will scorch the earth. 
and and not surrender. You know, I, I've mentioned this before, like that's what's happening in Israel as well. They are willing to cut off their nose to spite, spite their face. So um, again, there are pockets of sort of uh, optimistic threads, but I'm not really convinced uh, that it's enough to turn things back or to keep uh, the American Republic in particular from going off the cliff, which which is actually it is heartbreaking to me to be talking like this. Like I actually didn't think in my lifetime that I would be seeing this. There are things that I thought I would see. Like I'm still hopeful maybe that we can see the end of the Iranian regime um, in my lifetime and that maybe I can travel to Iran. That really would be a dream. But uh, because I'm not optimistic about there ever being another Republican or never mind, or a conservative, whatever, um, president of America, uh, I think I have to put that dream a little bit on hold, put it on the back burner. So uh, let me let me know, you guys, if you think I'm being um, too pessimistic, or whether you think that, uh, you know, it's kind of like the Mark Stein demographic doomsayer type of thing. I, I feel like that's planet reality. But let, let me know if you if you think otherwise. Um, okay, let's go to, we have uh, David Kellywood, who has a question here. Hi, Laura, maybe a little bit off topic here, but in the spirit of looking for ways to put up a fight against the forces of darkness, would, would appreciate your insights on homeschooling, going on the, the assumption that the U.S. Department of Education is likely to survive for a while longer, although one can dream, it would seem that the case for it, homeschooling that is, is becoming compelling for those of us for whom it's a viable option. I don't have any hard data I can cite, but from tidbits of info that pop up here and there, there seems to be an accelerating trend in that direction. I'm imagining pods of discrete truth protector parents banding together in the manner of the book People of Fahrenheit 451, 451. What are your thoughts and what, if anything, along this line, are you seeing up Canada way? So yes to homeschooling, 100%. Um, it never, like, I never really even heard about it growing up. And that might just be a product of, like, my my background and also just being in Canada. It's certainly not as popular as it is in, in America. But if I were going to do things over again, um, I would definitely be fully on board with homeschooling or, or this kind of pod, like a shared, a shared thing. I, I know a number of um, people who, women, mothers mostly, I'm sure dads do it too, who've homeschooled their kids. Um, they, the, the kids come out amazing um, and you are therefore sort of uh, protected against all the brainwashing and all the crap. And like my children went to private Jewish day schools, which was my way of trying to inoculate them against that. And I would have sold, you know, body parts, kidneys, blood, you know, if necessary in order to keep up with the tuition for that. It was definitely a, a big sacrifice. Um, the only kid that I had in the public system was my special needs kid. And I say it, you know, without malice or it's not to be making fun of him or anything. It's just that because of his cognition uh, level, he could not be brainwashed. So he went, he was in a special education program and I availed myself of the resources in the public system um, for his education because it, it, it wouldn't mean anything to him. It, he was not comprehending at that level. So I had no worry about him as well. But I can tell you that even in the Jewish day school system, a lot of the Kool-Aid has been drunk. And um, 
and I saw a progression of that in uh, the various years that my kids were in the system. So I think really the only way to try to prevent it is, <coughs> excuse me, homeschooling for sure and um, limiting access to online like devices. You know, as the kids say, make sure you go touch grass. Being outside and doing real human things, real books, less screen time, less less connectiveness on a digital level. Uh, I think it's absolutely obvious that that makes better humans. So those are my thoughts. And I like reading about homeschooling from people who are sort of in the trenches, even though my kids are older and uh, we're not there anymore. But um, if you want some homeschooling uh, tips or starters, I like uh, Bethany Mandel. She's a homeschooling Jewish mom of six and she writes the, uh, some new books for kids, like the Liberty series, I think. Anyway, she's very good about the homeschooling and sharing information and is very like much in that network. So uh, you could check her out. She's great on Twitter as well. Um, hope that uh, is helpful in some way. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, we, we've got guys. We, thank you so much. We like we really have quite a lot of questions. I'm not sure how many more I'm going to be able to get to. We have about a quarter hour left. Uh, so let's go now. And sorry, I'm a bit hoarse. It is quite dry here today. Uh, it's nice out, but it's dry. Okay, we've got one from the notorious Mr. J. Um, Mr. J, what are you notorious for? That is very curious. So Mr. J is asking this. Any comments or insights into the newly formed Alliance for Responsible Citizenship? <laughs> Did you hear me, guys? I think I almost said shitizenship, which is basically how I feel right now about Canada under Justin Castro. Shitizenship. Um, I digress. Uh, formed by Jordan Peterson and Bjorn Lomberg, that aims to widen debate on the issues of the day away from PC woke conformity. Um, loaded, loaded question, uh, because I think you guys might know that I go by Groucho Marx's maxim, which is that I would never join a club that would have me as a member, except, except that I am a founding member of the Mark Stein Club. This, guys, this is literally the only planet, the only organization slash club on earth that I am a member of. So it shows you how suspicious I am of organizations and the like. So basically, you know, with Jordan Peterson, um, like he's really done a lot of great stuff and has given a lot of great advice. And I believe that he has actually saved a lot of lives. And, you know, if you look back to sort of like, 2015, 2016 era YouTube stuff with um, Jordan Peterson. And if you check out Mark's interview with him at that time, he was very, very forward thinking about what was going to be happening. So, you know, kudos to him. I also quite enjoyed his book, The 12 Rules. Great book. And, and I do know, I personally know young men who have been in sort of over-feminized existential ruts, um, of various kind who've been helped by by Jordan Peterson, like life-saving type stuff. So I'm not going to diss him, although I do think he should get different slash better suits. Not crazy about his suits. Uh, not that it's any of my business, of course. 
And um, Bjorn Lomberg also has great stuff. Like these guys are putting themselves out there. They're courageous and um, have been saying lots of important things. So I don't really know too much about the Alliance necessarily. Um, again, trust not in men. Like if it gets people doing things, that's better than doing nothing. If it gets people talking about things, that's better than being censored and not talking. But I'm generally wary of structures and organizations, you know, and org charts and flow charts and hierarchies. Um, but if you see something interesting and cool that they're doing, I would be interested in reading it. So you can feel free to either uh, describe where a link exists or send me a note and uh, I will be happy to consider it. Thank you, notorious Mr. J, for that question. All right, what else have we got here? Um, let's see. Okay. Jamie Marsh says, Hi, Laura. With all the evil in the world and all we've been through over the past few years, you still seem to stay very positive. How do you do it? Is it faith or some combination of things? Whatever your secret is, will you share it so I can steal it for myself? Thanks, Jamie. Um, Jamie. First of all, I just want you to know that I really hear you. And the past few years were so difficult for so many people. And we saw, I, I believe we saw the spirit of the Nazis. You know, the, the people who did this to us were not doing the same thing, but it is the same dark forces, I believe. That's where the comparisons to the Holocaust are apt because it was humans doing awful things to other humans, enjoying it, really sadistic, cruel stuff, profiting from it, and really relishing in rules that made other people's lives miserable and terrible, um, you know, unforgivable stuff. So I, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm not over that cruelty because it affected my family so deeply and it affected me and I, I felt that uh, the big evil blob, the darkness, um, you know, Churchill called his depression the black the black dogs, I think, and I, and I really felt it. So I'm not over it. And the reason that I try to stay um, measured and I, I, I don't, it's not really that I'm always super positive because I, I really do have my moments where I feel downtrodden, um, I feel heavy and not optimistic and having faith really does help. And sometimes when I go to sleep and I'm anxious, I just remind myself because I believe in God that everything is from God and everything therefore from God, God is good. And so I have to believe that everything that comes my way is for the good, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't understand it. It's like, you know, when you pray, you're asking God for something, God is going to answer your prayer, but it may not be the answer that you want. That's really not up to us. So I find comfort in the things that I have some control over. And those are the small things, making a nice meal for my family, enjoying music, reveling in my children um, and in new babies, you know, of family members, 
Um, the fact that I have, you know, a great husband, um, really wonderful kids, uh, that I'm part of a community and reminding myself something that I think other people, I, I, I can't take credit for this, but instead of thinking about the things that I have to do, thinking about the things that I get to do, changing that, like instead of I have to make dinner, I get to make dinner. Not everybody has the things that we have. And a friend of mine, um, who's a, a, a very devout Christian mom in in America, um, whose child has the same syndrome as my son has, um, said one time to me, just an off the cuff remark, somewhere somebody is praying for what you have. So I think it's like a matter of perspective that like if you have a roof over your head and the people that you love the most are well physically and mentally and um, you have a few bucks in your pocket, you have a job, there's somebody who loves you and there's people that you love and you have a few friends, those are things that honestly not, not everybody has. So, and I feel uh, a spiritual... Um, mission, I feel that it is actually part of my mission on earth, particularly to be a mother, to be a Jewish mother to my children, and particularly to the situation that I have with a special needs child who's quite severely disabled, that that is from God, but also that if I have insights or abilities and I can change somebody's life or add some better, something better, like into somebody else's life that changes their life, that's like the biggest blessing that I can have. Like I feel so gifted and blessed. And I think that every one of you out there, every single one of you has something that is unique to you. That's your gift that you are the best at and that you can, if you have a little bit left over of it, that you can share with people and make a difference. So you start out micro and then you go macro, like first take care of your family, but whatever it is that you're awesome at and that you do the best and that people tell you that you do great, then you share that with people. So I feel that that is like, like I've, I've mentioned to Mark previously how honored I am to be here, to have this platform, to have Laura's links. Um, I'm so grateful to Mark for letting me have this space because really as as a Jewish person, you know, we started this hour <clears throat> with me reading from Psalms and those were what King David wrote. And, and if you think about it, King David, oh my God, and I'm sitting here, a Jewish person in my, in my room uh, in Southern Ontario after my great grandparents were murdered in the Holocaust. And here I am sitting here, like I, I'm a Jew and they didn't get me and they're not going to get my kids. So like that's remarkable, you know, and I feel like speaking to you guys through a computer is remarkable and touching people's lives is a privilege. So if you get down, honestly, Jamie, um, pick up a copy of Psalms. And like, like I said, this version that I have, it has the Hebrew and the English like translinear. So I can actually see like the beauty of the Hebrew while I read it as well. But get yourself like a, uh, an art scroll Uh, issue of Psalms and just read it like you will feel better probably instantly Um, because humans need meaning in their lives and need to feel part of something bigger and that's why a lot of these really kooky woke traps 
are traps for people who are probably inside. They're good people, you know, and they're looking for meaning. And and then these kooky things catch them like a cult. So definitely, I'm not positive all the time. I hit very, very dark places, but I have a lot of responsibility. And, you know, that's one thing that Jordan Peterson said is like a life of meaning is when you take on as much responsibility as you can and then some. So uh, maybe I will discuss this a little bit more in a in an upcoming issue of uh, Laura's links. But Jamie, uh, like, you know, have faith. And even if you don't have faith, I kind of feel like you can fake it till you make it. I'm not saying that in a trite way. In Judaism, we have an expression which is which means we will do and we will hear. And through the doing of things, good deeds, that is how you understand why you're supposed to be doing it. So just do the things. Act happy even if you're not. Do the good deeds even if you feel short on everything. And that that will help you. That will really help you. And like I said, I'm, I'm truly grateful to Mark for the privilege of of being here, um, of being a proud Jew in this day and age. It's truly remarkable to me. And if I can help anybody through the interwebs or just with things that we discuss here, that's just added bonus. And um, it makes me really feel tremendously grateful. Um, thank you for that uh, comment and, and just chin up, Jamie. I, I think basically we are going to have, uh, well, there, there's two little short bits here that we can get to before I sign off because I've left um, Mr. C in the wilds of the kitchen. He's cooking up some great stuff. So like, really, I can't complain. Uh, he's making madbucha, which is like this really fiery, spicy um, to, uh, tomato based dip, like an antipasti and uh I'll, I'll, I'll share a recipe maybe with you, I guess as well. So two, two quickies, and then we're going to have to, um, sign off. I hope you guys have enjoyed this time. Uh, we have a comment from Nicola Timmerman who says, uh, let's see. Oh, we've actually, Katie just sent a good comment too. So let, let me do really quickly like bullets. Nicola says, uh, haven't seen calls from Tal Bachman in a while. Loved seeing him on the cruise. His birthday is August 13th if anyone wants to wish him a happy birthday. So happy birthday, Tal. And I also haven't seen Tal in a while. So I hope all's good. I'm glad he was on the cruise and making beautiful music for you guys. Happy birthday, Tal. Uh, Suzanne Rennie, seeing as you made a Freudian slip about UFOs, I'll ask you what's your take on all the UFO stories we've been privy to in the past couple of years. Best to you and your family, of course, Mark. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Suzanne. Um, <laughs> I'm very skeptical about UFO stuff. I think there's many, many things that we don't understand about the universe, uh, like plenty, almost everything, but I'm, I haven't been sold really on the UFO stuff. Um, and then lastly, <laughs> we're going to end really on a banger here. And it is a story. Uh, I think I might've, if I didn't put it in last week's links, then I, I definitely um, will have it in the, the upcoming links. I, I saw it in the New York Post, if you guys want to look it up before you see it in the links. Um, Katie says, any comment on the horrific killing of a gay man by Muslims in Brooklyn of all places? So that, yes, it was a horrendous murder happened. It was a black gay dancer who was murdered by a mob of Muslim guys who did not appreciate his black 
gay Muslim dancing to Beyonce. They murdered him in cold blood and the press is completely, <coughs> excuse me, completely omerta on this because Muslim, black, gay. So I think uh, this is something actually I'm hoping that Mark will pick up on because it actually to me epitomizes uh, the conflict that he has been trying to warn people about, about this multi-cult business that you can't have the fiery, you know, the fire breathing hotshot imam, as he says at 123 Elm Street, and expect to have peace and coexistence with the gay couple or the trans couple at 125 Elm Street. Like right now, this murder is where the rubber hits the road in multiculturalism, in the identity politics. And you're going to see that um, I think, um, so gays were the pets of the left for a while, and then it was Muslims, uh, then they got gay marriage, and then it was still Muslims. Now we're going to be seeing battles of Muslim versus gay, Muslim versus trans. It's gonna, it's just going to get worse and worse. And the Muslims of America are not going to be anybody's pets. Their faith is solid. They are not going to tag along or go along to get along. And we're seeing this in Canada with the school boards. The most active people against the trans and woke nonsense and tyranny are very devout Muslims. It is happening in Virginia in America between Muslims and the woke. So I, I think that Muslims are going to win that battle. And then again, you know, we're just going to have to go back to demographic basics. So um, I, again, because I think this, like Mark wrote several columns that actually describe this uh, situation with such uh, prophetic um, accuracy, I'm hoping that Mark is going to pick up on it. Um, that story is really, to me, uh, just like the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure it's happening in lots more places, but the media are gutless eunuchs, as we know, and um, it's going to take alternate um, media voices to uh, to discuss it and to make sure that these heinous, repulsive acts of murder um, don't happen. And you know what? A lot of black voices are starting to talk about uh, the need for more policing, the need for uh, to, to completely dismantle this idea of defunding cops. So do listen to Megan Kelly's podcast because that's where that's where the stuff is going to come from. It's going to the the white woke liberals are going to get decimated on many fronts, but it's not going to be from white conservative heterosexuals. It's going to come from fronts that they probably can't get an ideological grip on because of who they are. Uh, but there will be no surrender. They're not going to go down easy. They will scorch the earth. So guys, on that happy note, scorched earth, I am going to wish you guys a good weekend. It will be Shabbat uh, soon. So I'm going to run. Take care until next time. Bye for now. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.